Thanks for joining us for the Changing the Industry podcast, where we try to effectuate change for the better, one conversation at a time. Part of that change is providing help for those that need it. This is why we've partnered with the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. Whether it's help with sales, operations, or just getting your numbers in order, these folks are some of the very best in the industry. And for our listeners, they'll sit down with you and go over your strengths, your weaknesses, and the opportunities that are in front of you. They'll create a customized plan for how to move forward absolutely free. That's right, free. And if your plan includes one-on-one coaching, they can also help you with that. There's no hard sales pitch, no obligation, just honest help from honest people. So if that's something that you think could benefit you, make sure you click on the link in the show notes. And now, on to the show. I remember how it used to be. The phone's ringing off the hook. Clients are coming in the front door like crazy. And here comes little technician Timmy. Timmy comes up and he says, hey boss, where's my part? Where you want me to go next? What you want me to do? Gosh, Timmy, if I knew, I'd tell you, buddy, but I am covered up. All of that stopped when I found Shopware. With Shopware, you get an industry-leading expediter right there in the software. It tells you if your parts are here, where your technician should go next, and how much time they have left to complete the jobs in the day. Go to GetShopware.com to learn more. GetShopware.com. Hey, everybody. David here, and welcome to the ASOG Podcast. A few years after I opened my shop, I remember rushing to try to get home to my family on New Year's Eve. When I got a phone call that a truck my helper had just finished doing an oil change on was making a bunch of noise. The customer wanted to know what he should do, and I told him to go ahead and bring it back. I spent the rest of that night at the shop dealing with what turned out to be a blown engine. My helper had forgotten to put oil back in it. Not only did I have an upset customer that needed a new engine for their truck, I also spent the entire night at my shop, so I had disappointed my family by not being able to come home at a decent hour on New Year's Eve. On top of all that, I didn't have the money for the engine, and even if I had, I didn't have the time to swap it in. It felt as though I was treading water. Every victory, every gain I made would get washed away by something like forgetting to put oil back in during an oil change. Defeated and dejected, I remember sitting at the edge of my bed and asking my wife if I should just close the shop. It was the closest I had ever been to quitting. I tell you that story because that wasn't what I had envisioned for myself when I opened my business. I dreamed of something completely different. But, as Lucas says, the problems never vanish. We just find better problems. So, what do better problems look like exactly? Well, for that discussion, we're joined by Sam Johnson, the owner of Beachside Tire and Auto Repair in Bluffton, South Carolina. We cover a whole host of topics with Sam, but what's most important is listening to his mindset and the way he approaches the challenges he's facing at his own shop. Sam deals with better problems, and our conversation with him will show you exactly what that entails. But before we begin, if you're an automotive industry professional or a shop owner yourself, then you are in the right place. This is a podcast created by shop owners, for shop owners, and those seeking out their perspective. We have frank and open conversations like the very one you're about to listen to, where we discuss the struggles and challenges we have every single day and what we're trying to do about it. So if you like this content, we'd greatly appreciate a subscription on your favorite podcast listening app. 
If you're catching us on YouTube, hit that like button and subscribe to the channel so you never miss an upload. Also, consider becoming a patron if you'd like to support our work. Link is in the description box or on our website, asog.site. That's A-S-O-G dot S-I-T-E. Now, with all that out of the way, here we go. Sam, how you doing? Uh, no complaints. Just uh, trucking along. Trucking along. Do you do anything in the shop nowadays, or are you just hanging out? Um, I do not have an active role in the shop day to day. The IRS is um, not listening, so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I am. Um, my, my, my biggest focus right now is kind of diagnosing issues that we have in the workflow. Um, you know, kind of looking at all the numbers, going over that. Um, I was telling Lucas that, you know, I've got, I had a manager in place. He left. I actually had an interview with a third service advisor that we were going to add. The morning of the interview, my manager quit because he thought that the new service advisor was going to come in and take his job. So, um, weird. I, it was very weird. So I immediately hired this guy that I was interviewing and we, Kind of had a few days, week long that it was kind of, you know, whatever. But I, I, it's making me rethink this whole business model of, first off, how I present these jobs to these people. Like when I go and hire a, uh, a service advisor slash manager. But also, I, somebody said to me one time, the guy standing next to you can do something better than you no matter what you feel. And we're kind of looking at having like a co-manager role is probably what we're going to play into. Um, you know, because I have, you know, I'm sure you see it. You have some guys that really excel at some things and some guys that are just terrible at some things. Yeah. And I have not met the one guy that can do it all yet. And that includes right. myself or, or well, any other you, shop uh, owner out there. What do you mean by do it all? Well, I just don't, I, 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 I'm a firm believer right now that you got to play to everyone's strengths. You know, if you have, um, a guy that is a little bit better than se- at selling maintenance, if you're running two right now, we have two advisors and an advisor assistant. One of my guys is a rock star with selling maintenance. So he gets a majority of those tickets. You know, we found that our sales are better. He's a little bit more assertive. He says the right things. You know, as opposed to having them split the tickets even or something like that. So that's kind of the the one example. If we have a, you know, you have a technician that's better at heavy line work, you give him the heavy line work. Right. Dispatching to strengths. Correct. But running the shop to strengths, not just dispatching the tickets. I I could see it from a technician standpoint. That makes sense. But when you're talking about a service advisor, that's your point of contact with a customer. Wouldn't you want to have the customer go to someone they're comfortable with. In other words, if they establish a relationship with service advisor one, why would you have service advisor two, even though he may be better or she may be better at selling maintenance, why would you have service advisor two call the customer when the relationship is with service advisor one? Yeah. Um, I mean, we have a we we have one advisor that's been with us for three, four years now, and he has a big following that he's brought with him. 
And I, I think that as long as it's communicated to the... Lucas and I have been telling you about Parts Tech for a while now and how it gives you access to unlimited parts and tire vendors and direct integration with over 35 shop management systems. And now they've just launched a new referral program. All you have to do is open your Parts Tech account, go to My Shop, and click on the Rewards tab. There you'll find your referral URL, which you can share via email, text message, or on your social media. If your referral signs up for a new account and places five orders in the first 30 days, Parts Tech will send you a $100 gift card. That's it. Nothing else is needed. Your referrals can get you $100 just for using Parts Tech, which, by the way, is absolutely free to get started with. So if you're using Parts Tech already, start sharing that referral link. And if you haven't signed up for Parts Tech yet, what are you waiting for? Click on the link in the description or go to partstech.com forward slash podcast. That's partstech.com forward slash podcast. Hey, one more thing. If you find out that your shop management system doesn't integrate with Parts Tech, it's time to upgrade. David and I use what we believe to be the very best system on the market, shopware. With unmatched features like Parts GP Optimizer and DVX, which is their digital vehicle experience, Shopware really is way more than just a shop management software. With it, you'll be able to create an immersive and interactive experience for your client, setting you apart from everyone else using run-of-the-mill software. Are you ready to upgrade? Click the link in the show notes to get started. Customer, hey, so-and-so is going to deal with you or, or whatnot. They still have that confidence by seeing him there, knowing that he's there. Um... You know, I've experienced it firsthand when he's out of town and they have that relationship with that person, they do get worried, you know, so that makes you, sense. Have to t- you have to make the proper communication with the customer that, you know, because it would be impossible for him to, with the amount of the volume that we're seeing at our shop, one service advisor couldn't do that. And if he has that relationship for with 75% of the customers, you know, it, yeah. it's just one person can't handle that workload. Yeah, You would think that somebody that, uh, you know, it's a newer customer, maybe only been in once or twice, you would pass yep. off to the newer advisor. But, you know, and I'm thinking of the, the dealership model. Right. You know, you've been, most of the time the dealership ends up with loyal customers because the person establishes a, a relationship with one of the service advisors. If that service mm-hmm. advisor leaves, they don't have any actual relationship with the dealership per se. They have yep. a relationship with a service advisor. Uh, right. And, you know, it's the whole Chris Collins thing. There are customer collectors. They're collecting yeah. customers for you. Well, and, and I think you could you could even take that back to just how your phone system's set up, right? And and give them access to the advisor that they want to work with. And, you know, whether you have an extension or you have an ability to push a button, press uh, one for Bob or two for Sam. You know, it gives you that option to be able to do that. And well, he and, you probably know, has enough volume. He can have somebody just answer the phone call and direct right. the phone call to whoever they want to speak to. Well, I'm and and look, I, I think it's a great idea in a lot of ways. And the reason I say that is because, you know, we've talked about this before. Our previous service advisor could do a really good job of managing the parts. Did a great mm-hmm. job with parts, did a great job of building that connection. But there were lots of other facets of the job he couldn't manage well. And, and you know, there's things that I can manage really well. 
as a service advisor or as a technician, I, I think we all have strengths and weaknesses. And I think if we play to that, especially as we, we begin to try and maximize what we're doing with our shops, you know, I, I like the word optimize because I really believe that that's kind of what we're all heading towards is let's optimize our operations. When we start optimizing, these are the things that you really begin to see Especially when when you take Sam's position, where Sam's sitting on a stool in the middle of the shop, just watching and seeing what's happening, you know, when that that's that's how I envision when you talk about workflow issues or whatever it may be that you're fixing, Sam, is you're kind of taking this outside look in more so than than being in the middle of the the fire doing the work. So I, I, that's kind of what I took from it anyway. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely not. I think a lot of it can be done outside of the shop. Um, I mean, there's definitely times if we have a specific issue that I have to be at the shop, great. But one of my personal goals this year is to spend less time at the shop. Um, you know, we've come up with diagnostic forms that we fill out. If we don't hit an ARO for the day, we fill out a form and we analyze the day, you know, right? and, and we've drilled it down. We had, uh, in November, we had an unusually low ARO for like a week and a half. We've, we, we found out that we just didn't have large tickets for a week and a half. You know, we were, right. when our ARO is high, we have those three or four tickets that are over a thousand, fifteen hundred dollars to bring that lower ARO up. We had a week and a half. We didn't have one car towed in for like a week. So, you know, we, we were able to drill down on that. And like you said, I'm giving the outsider's view looking in, you know, well, and re- really when you get to the, where I feel I am right now is like you said, optimizing the shop. What am I going to do? Are, are we going to change the, the, the way we're talking to the customers or what we're going to, you know, the, our process for the actual sale of the job. And, you know, we, we're constantly tweaking things to the point where it probably drives my guys crazy at times, but you know, it goes back to marketing. You can say the same five, 10 words in different ways and get different results from it. So same thing with what we're doing with, with our shop right now. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think this is in the nicest possible way to say this. I think this is something a lot of the smaller shops need to be really listening to right now. Um, and a smaller shop's not always bad. I'm a smaller shop, right? But one of the things that I've noticed, especially hearing you talk about this, Sam, really makes me think about it, is that when I'm running the shop, I have my finger on the pulse of the shop, right? I can feel what's happening. I can feel what's happening with the clients. Are they not responding well to what we're telling them? Are they not understanding what I'm saying? Are they worried about our prices? I can I can feel that, right? Because I'm at the front counter. I'm experiencing it. Um, or as a technician, I can feel that, hey, I'm not selling the work that I normally would. What's going on? It, it, I have an inner insider's view. Mm-hmm. And as we grow, one of the things that has to happen is, is if we want to grow, you know, I was talking to Mike Allen today and I said, you know, I have a goal in mind of the size I want my shop to be. I don't want to be bigger than that. I I like what I do. I like what we're doing with my shop. But for those that want to grow to this larger scale, you need to put systems and policies and procedures in place now 
that allow you to manage it and watch that. Because one of the things I, I don't think anybody ever plans for is there becomes a point when you reach a certain size, you reach a staff size, you reach a car count, whatever it may be, where unfortunately, if you want to be in the shop, but fortunately for many shop owners, uh, your primary focus is not working on the car, is not standing at the front counter helping the client. You need a system or a process to allow for that so you can still manage your business and manage these issues that come and go. So that that really speaks to that in my mind. Yeah, I think the big thing when you're and one thing that I've, we're trying to constantly work on is, is how can we do that? Because you don't get the input from the from the employees that you need all the time. I would say probably most of the time, you know, before we kind of came up with these diagnostic forms that we fill out. Well, why did we have a low day yesterday? I have no idea. They're they're doing. It's not like they're doing anything different, you know. Right. Um, you can you can still have a sixty percent close ratio for the day, and have a two hundred and fifty dollar ARO. That's very possible. Right. Absolutely. So they they didn't do anything wrong. The technicians didn't do anything wrong, and that's what we discovered. Um, right. You, you know. So I think it's. You, you know, you, you hear these these way higher level shops like Mike Allen. He, what does he have, two or three locations now? Two. I believe he's got two. two. But I know his one location is fairly large. Right. Um, oh, yeah. So he's also in a market that is a lot bigger. Raleigh's a, a lot bigger market than, you know, Bluffton, South Carolina. We don't have this employee pool where we're pulling from right. these high level managers to come in here. And I'm sure you probably run through the same stuff. So you've got to learn Absolutely. to work with what you have, you know, at your disposal. And not to say that, I mean, my guys are all grade A guys, but if one, it, it, the replacement time takes forever to find, yeah. you know, we'll go through 10 guys to find one guy. Right. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I think that really um, is one of the things that, that I have seen here is that we've had to pull talent from elsewhere. Right. You know, Eric came from New York um, and and Terry came from another shop, but he's from Florida. And I, I think much of the talent pool, especially in these rural areas, um, is difficult to find. And, and, you know, so much of what you speak about really comes down to working on the business, not in the business. And and a lot of what you've described and explained in my mind is. And, and, and I, I found myself doing this again when I was the service advisor. I found myself falling into this trap where the busy work of keeping the shop moving became everything that I did. And it was kind of neat to see from that perspective because I got so inundated with these things that had to be done that up top I knew, hey, listen, I need to be watching my gross profit. Hey, I need to know what my ELR is. I need to know what these numbers are. But I was so busy, I could barely keep up with what I had to do. Yeah. And and it was really a realization for me that I could truly understand why when the shop's performing like it's supposed to perform, it needs that owner or needs that uh, high level management position to be watching what it's doing, diagnosing the issues with the business and and making small adjustments to keep the business healthy and growing. Yeah. Well, I think that that, you know. One one thing that I've noticed, 
and this is business owners in general. We, you know, we deal with a lot of business owners through our shop, mainly all small, you know, all small businesses, air conditioning companies, stuff like that. There's really three mindsets that you have. You have the, I own the job, I own the business. And then, then you have this entrepreneurial mindset, which I think is on its own is completely different than just being the business owner mindset. Right. And right. I think that you have to make that switch. Um, you know, I was stuck in this rut forever and somebody explained this to me about bringing on a new employee and looking at what am I losing by not having the employee, not what the employee costs me. Right. And you, when you start to realize that about your business and you start making decisions on your business and not because you're, you don't have cash to, to pay right. for that or, or anything like that. That's when the growth really starts to happen. You know, we were kind of stuck where we were and, you know, and, and I was happy with where that was, but when my mind start, when my mindset started to change and I started making decisions based on what I felt was best for the business and not, Oh my gosh, am I going to have the money to cover right. this if it doesn't work out in six months? That's when the stuff really started happening and I've won and I've lost. Right. Um, but you don't limit yourself, you know, and until you can make that, that change, I think that you're your own worst enemy to some extent. Absolutely. Um, I, I completely concur. I, I, I think for me and, and a lot of shop owners I talk to is, is, you know, the, the root of that is a fear, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I know some shop owners who they want to be the top dog in the shop and, and they don't want to hire that great technician because, you know, they may not admit it, but there's a little bit of ego involved. Um, but I also know those that are truly afraid of making that decision because of the what ifs. And, yeah. and, you know, I had an experience a few years ago because back when I first started working with my shop coach, he kept saying, you need to do this. You need to do that. You need to get moving. Why are you not doing anything? You're not moving. You're not moving. You're not moving. And everybody kept saying the same thing. And finally it was like, I, I something just spoke to me and said, you got to do something. Shit or get off mm-hmm. the plot. Let's make a decision. Mm-hmm. And and I took a leap of faith and made some decisions that I didn't exactly feel comfortable making. And after I made that first decision, it changed my life and it changed my business because I realized that all that fear was BS, right? I realized that the fear of, of things not working out and not having success the way I envisioned was complete BS, when I took that leap, we saw the growth that we had been waiting for. I saw the stress reduction that I'd been waiting for based on some things like hiring a better technician that cost a lot more money, hiring an advisor so I don't have to stay on the front counter eight and 10 hours a day so I can manage the business. Well, I, I always was afraid I couldn't afford it. I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that. But when I finally made the decision I was going to do it was when we really saw a change in the business. It was almost instantaneous. When I got rid of that fear, took the jump and said, let's just do the damn thing. Mm -hmm. Man, it was like a light switch changed. Um, And the whole mindset. What do you think about what happened with COVID? Okay. We got to see 
firsthand on the internet or if you're in your if you're in a peer group or or anything like that how many i would probably throw out a number of 75% of the shop owners had no clue what was what to do they didn't have right. enough money in the bank they they had no idea I'm not, they, i don't think they all stuck their head in the sand but i right. think that that a lot of that was fear driven you know and i was definitely scared but I was right. there. I, I feel that I was probably more well prepared than most, mainly because we have dealt with hurricanes and stuff like that. So we kind of right. had an emergency plan. But, you know, some of these people that, you know, in, in, in peer groups and, you know, you read on on ASOG or any of that, it's like, man, how can you be in a business expected to grow and with, with being where you only have two weeks of money saved or a month worth right. of money saved. Hey, now you leave that two weeks alone. <laughs> <laughs> and, and look, and, and the thing is, is I've been there, right. Yeah, and, uh, and until recently, you know, until recently and, and you know, it was, a, it was David and I sitting in one of Hunt's classes at vision last year where Hunt, Hunt created a strategy and said, here's how you start putting money away. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and now I've got a little bit of money put away that in the event something happens every single week, a set amount of money goes into that account, a little bit mm-hmm. of savings. And, and you bring up a really valid point that a lot of shop owners, man, when this thing kicked off, they're like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things that I have really found that helped me find myself in this is I've, I focused on the client. I said, there's a lot of them who are going to be afraid of what's going on. There are a lot of them who are, are going to have to spend money on keeping their car going um, because they're not going to go buy that new car. There's a lot of them who are not going to travel this year. So they may not be traveling overseas, but maybe they want to go to the coast for the weekend. Right. Mm-hmm. And those were things that I was trying to, to keep at the forefront of the thought process in the shop. And we were talking to the team and we were saying, hey, what do you think about this? How does this feel? You know, are you guys worried about anything in particular? And and it was really just about having a conversation about how they felt and talking about what the clients wanted and needed. Yeah. We found a, a really great spot in the market for us that, that we can serve them at the level they want to be served at. We meet their needs well. And it's been a huge blessing. We put on, I don't know, 35, 36% new customers in that period Mm -hmm. and they've all become lifetime customers at this point or lifetime clients at this point and i think it came down to as opposed to panicking and locking the doors i'd heard all these shop owners that were successful time and time again say when things don't go right don't lock up keep moving right Mm -hmm. don't don't turn off the advertising turn up the advertising Yep. And and I think there's there's so many things like that that shop owners are so bad to just lock up and say I can't I can't do it. On top of that too, I don't think anybody at any point thought that I know I didn't. At any point did I go? They surely won't just close businesses, right? They can't do that. I mean, yeah, these, but when nobody you know, knew where the cash flow was coming from, you know, if you laid off all your employees, and I mean, I well, that's what I'm saying though. Like yeah. at I don't think at any point I thought, even if it was happening in New York, they were talking about shutting down those big cities. 
I'm not in a big city. I mean, Kansas City is a metropolitan area, but it's not the size of New York or Chicago or Houston or Dallas or L.A. or any of those cities like that. And, and at no point that I th- think we're going to get closed down to the point where nobody's going to leave their house. Nobody's going to be able to go to work. They're going to close all the restaurants, all the bars. They're going to close all the salons, the, the barbershops. And the only place that's going to be open is Walmart and Home Depot and us. And yeah. nobody's going to want to uh, get get their vehicle fixed. I, I don't. I didn't think that was feasible. So two weeks, three weeks, four weeks worth of cash in case we do get shut down completely. And I, I'm thinking in terms of there's a fire and I'm waiting for the uh, loss of business check. Uh, how much yeah. cash do I need to, to get by that? You know, somebody runs into the building and I can't open up. Um, yeah. well, how much cash do I need to, 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 uh, to keep on hand and then do what, whatever I need to with the rest. And I'm not saying don't keep six months worth of cash at this point, you need to keep six months worth of cash because even if you do get shut, you don't get shut down and you stay open. If there's an outbreak of coronavirus in your shop and everybody has to go home, uh, and you can't open up because you don't have any employees. I mean, that alone made a case for keeping a copious amount of cash on hand mm-hmm. uh, for incidentals like that. But before COVID, I don't think those were, at least yeah. I didn't consider them yeah. a- as feasible. I, I just didn't think so. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't have a ton of cash on hand. We had enough and but it dried learned. up pretty quick. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. You know, at this point here, that it's going to be, that's the thing. I mean, it's not like, we've all opened up a business and bam, we're profitable from day one. And you know, the it's not like that. I've gone months without paychecks. I'm sure you both have too. You know, I I remember, you know, probably going to period two, three, four months without a paycheck. I mean, where we're, I was living on personal reserves, business reserves and our market. It's a, it's a very weird market when we were on Hilton head, you had three months to make all your money to get you through the winter, you know? Right. So, and, and it would be a 30 to 40% swing sometimes. So, you know, it gets pretty meager in, you know, November to February sometimes until spring break starts, you know, coming in again. So I, I think the one thing that you have to be able to do is you have to be able to learn. And I think that going through these growing pains of owning a shop, makes you more resilient in the end yeah if you learn from it if you yeah if you just if you decide you're going to pivot and not give up because there were a lot of shops that just shut their shop down they said okay they're going to lock us down we're not going to have any business so everybody's laid off we're just going to shut down and wait to see what happens yeah Um, we had a guy in our market i couldn't afford to do that that wasn't feasible for me and so you know i learned two things and i learned this one early on stay out of debt completely (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> stay out of debt and so in other words buy used equipment uh, unless you can pay cash for it and then uh save up as much cash as possible because you just you know you never know at this point if the government can do this they'll do they can do anything at this point who knows it's it's a free-for-all yeah. just gr- mm-hmm. grab whatever they can and uh and uh y- and you give it up willingly what else can you do um right but i think back to your earlier point same uh the whole growth thing and having that entrepreneurial spirit to expand the business 
don't you think you're past that at this point though like i i think everybody focuses in on growth i, I want to grow i want to grow i want to grow it's like okay well i've grown mm-hmm. um at a certain capacity at this point uh do you have to shift your mindset and go well now i need to take more of an executive role in other words yeah, if you I look mean, at go ahead go ahead i i mean and that's why i said you know kind of that um, I have a partner at this location. So um, we had one location. He was an employee. It was actually his idea to open up this location because it was either you're going to be my partner or I'm going off on my own. So we opened up this location and turns out we they, uh, our old building got taken by eminent domain. So now we have one location. So... Um, I have, I do have a partner here. So we, you know, our goal for both of us this year is to not be at the shop as much. He's a technician and I, I, I've never worked on a car in my life, you know, a race car, classic yeah. car. Sure. But I'm not a mechanic. I don't even change my own oil and and you wouldn't want me to. Yeah. So, and, and he doesn't know how to read a P and L. Well, he could probably read a P and L, but he's not business minded. So that we complement each other really well, but you know, really my mindset right now is, is what can I do now? Now that I have this business set up and going and we're happy with where it is, where is my next opportunity out there? Yeah. Um, well, if you look at a, a, a larger enterprise, if you look at a larger organization, you have an executive that is meeting with people that execute on the plan. Mm-hmm. The executive lays out the plan. Hey, we're going to, we're going to meet with the managers and we're going to figure out what the next logical step is. Where, where are the shortcomings within the business? What do we need to work on? Where are we falling short? And that's entirely derived from metrics because as Lucas was saying, he gets a feeling for the business that's not scalable and it's not feasible for a larger organization. It's just impossible for the, for the owner to be, you know, around every single transaction to get a sense of what's happening within the business. So what do they do? They have managers that execute the plan. So they look at the metrics, they decide we need to head in this direction. We need to figure out a plan. Now they don't come up with a plan themselves necessarily, but then you have managers that execute on plan A and plan B and they talk to the employees. They figure out what's going wrong and they report back to the executive. Mm -hmm. So at least in my mind, having been part of larger organizations, that's how they tend to work. Yep. I don't know. We see that translated into a shop. It seems yeah. like I want to be the manager and the, and the executive. I want to make mm-hmm. the plan and I need to execute it myself where you're talking about bringing in managers, plural. Mm-hmm. At that point, now you can be the executive and your managers then execute on those plans. And you're just reading metrics. What, right. I mean, we're definitely not 100% to that. You know, um, there are, there is still guidance for me, but it's not very much, you know, essentially I, I'll look at the end of the week. I'll look at the reports. We'll go over stuff. Um, like I said, they have forms, they fill out if there's issues, uh, we go over that. We have the meeting. We'll discuss that every decision at that shop is based on a group effort. It's not just me or it's not just them. You know, we haven't, we we don't have that full complete separation yet. You know, I still have meetings with the technicians. It's uh, when when I had the manager there that was full time, he handled all that. But 
right now, currently, I don't have one person that this is your duty. But after kind of going through what we were going through uh, with, with that person, I'm not a hundred percent sure if that's what's right for us. You know, I think that's a great idea to have that, but I don't necessarily know if it's needed. And we do a lot, you know, we're, we're doing 500 cars a month, 550 cars a month. Yeah. You know, I, I think that if you, when you get into multi locations, that's probably a little bit more important to have one manager over the two, if you're going to be completely hands off. But as far as a single location, I don't necessarily know if if you have to have that to be successful and still have a good quality of life. You don't so, need to have a, a manager over the shop. One person where all you're doing is having that relationship, like you were saying, where we have a, a meeting with that, yeah. you know, here's the reports. I don't necessarily know if you, if you have to have that. I mean, I, I, I have been at my shop in the last week, last week and this week, yesterday afternoon. And that was to pay bills for the end of the month. Yeah. You don't have to be there all the time and you can still be effective and see what's going on. You can have that one sole person. I just don't know if you necessarily have to have that. You know, a lot of people preach that. I've been getting told that by, you know, guys with multi-shops, coaches, consultants. That's what they all say. That's the goal is to find that one guy that's going to run your shop the way that you do. What if you had a shop manager or at least a a manager for the back that can relate to the technicians? Because I think at the end of the day, you have to sit down with the individual employees and have that one-on-one conversation. And if you don't have that connection with the individual employees, you end up losing a lot of feedback. You end up losing a lot of perspective Mm -hmm. and you get blindsided with, you know, you show up and uh, you find out that everybody called off sick uh, all at the same time and left the CSR up at the uh, front by themselves Mm -hmm. for the entire day with promised vehicles and drop offs and all that mess there. And, you know, the, I've seen that happen before. And at some point the, the shop owner lost his connection with the rest of the, the, the crew and maybe yep. they were detached or whatever, but whatever ended up happening without having those one-on-one conversations, you know, you can miss a lot. And so whether you as the shop owner wants to do it, then, you know, more power to you. But at, at some point, if you don't want to have those conversations, I'm not a particular fan of having those conversations. <laughs> so mm-hmm. <laughs> the goal for me is to train somebody to have those conversations with the, the rest of the staff and have that person just report to me. And so yeah. they're not coming to me for anything. They're going to the manager for everything. Mm-hmm. And the manager handles whatever that person can handle. And the manager comes to me for whatever the manager can't handle themselves or there's an issue that they need feedback on or whatever, but that connection is with the manager as as far as the employees go. Yeah. I mean, that's what, I mean, I, I, I know most of my employees there because this is a relatively new thing for us, you know, as far as me kind of being quote unquote absentee, you know, it was kind of towards the end of last year, you know, November is when it kind of started. Um, and so I know most of the employees there. I've got a couple guys there that I don't have a relationship with because we had one guy start in January, a technician. Um, 
I mean, I definitely think that there has to be somebody there, whether it be a shop foreman or whatever the case is. But what I'm saying is I don't necessarily think that you have to have one sole person do that duty where he is, quote unquote, the store manager. Yeah. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. And, and that's well, I think I, we, I mean, I agree with you in a, in a sense, but that's what I'm saying. Like, who are they who are they coming to? Right. And I guess that that's the that's the crux. I mean, because, yeah, I don't think I think you're right. I, I don't I don't know that you need to have just one person. Mm hmm. But if technician A, who has no relationship with you, has a problem, who do they go to? Well, right. are they going to a service advisor who, you know, at the end of the day, they're sort of equal in the hierarchy? Or are they going to the service advisor who's also kind of the manager? And there's confusion there. Or do they go directly to the, the owner, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with going directly to the owner. But... Then the owner's taking that managerial role then, and they're sitting down and having that conversation on a regular basis with their, with their staff. And they're also leading the weekly meetings. And they're also setting guidance on, you know, key metrics and, you know, whatever the overall goals are and setting goals and goal planning and strategic planning. And they're doing the SWOT analysis and all that stuff the executive does. But in addition to that, they're doing the managerial tasks. Mm-hmm. So I guess that that's my question to you is who this technician that you just hired in January, he has a problem. Who does he go to? Who does he turn to? Well, right now we kind of have an assumed, uh, my service advisor that has been there the longest. He is yeah. not quote unquote titled the manager. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say that he has kind of assumed that role. Yeah. So. You know, he, 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 he'll hold a meeting, he'll deal with the, you know, if somebody needs time off, he handles all that, um, yeah. you know, stuff like that. But, um, so why, kinda, why not make them the the manager then just or call them the manager? Yeah. Well, in, in this particular case, there were certain things that he did not want to do in the, be in that manager position or be in that, in that decision making role. Sure. And he uh, asked to not be the manager. Oh, there you go. Well, that answered so, that question there. <laughs> well, then we hired the other guy that was, and he was hired. And, and it kind of bringing him back to, you know, setting expectations and stuff like that. You know, we, so we, we, we interviewed this other guy for a manager slash writing, you know, 30, 40% of the service and also being the manager. And we quick, quickly realized he was not going to be the manager. Yeah. Um, it's a, know, it's a, signed, it's a specific skill set. It Very is specific, but yeah. the thing is, but I don't think right. a lot of people realize that though. Yes. I, I think, I think it's, it's, they just assume, well, a really good service advisor can also be a manager or a really good technician can also be a service, uh, a, a service manager. Yeah. I, but I think no. that, you know, just kind of what we're, we're kind of looking at right now is, is, you know, so we realized that he was hired and offered a pay plan based on when we can do this, then you're on this other pay plan. Um, when we realized that wasn't probably going to be a feasible thing in the near future, that was going to be more of a long term. It really had me mm-hmm. rethinking how we're going to bring, how we're going to hire for this position in the future. You know, and that's why where I am right now. You know, I, I, I hired this 
other gentleman that uh, was some sort of manager at the shop he was previously. Did not run the whole shop. I don't know exactly what you want to call him, but he was an assistant manager, I guess is the best thing to call it. But there's no expectations from him. You're hired to come in here and write service. And if you become the manager, great. If you don't, great. You know, we can have co-managers or whatever the case is. Because he is yeah. definitely stronger at things, uh, you know, than the other advisor that we have there. And they can kind of both share those duties as, as the manager. Well, I mean, the Bucks eventually got to stop somewhere, though, right? I mean, at some point, there has to be somebody who takes, and and I guess in this case, that would be you. That would be me. I mean, but but right now, that's five percent of my, you know, that they're handling right. the majority of it. It's not like, uh, you know, they're not calling me. Hey, Mister Jones is mad about his car. What should we do? They're just handling that. You know. Right. So with yeah, yes. I, I so, guess if, they, if you had to put a label on it, then yes, you would call me the manager, owner, executive, whatever. But that is a very small piece of what I actually do at the shop. So let me ask you this. You, you've put a ton of trust in this team, right? You know your mm-hmm. team, you trust them. You know, one of the things that we've always heard is trust but verify. What are the key metrics? What are the things that you look at on a daily or weekly, monthly basis that help you verify they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. You know, we can talk numbers, but, you know, we might have some listeners who are saying, hey, you know, I like the idea of getting to this spot. I, I want to hire a manager or I want to I want to work towards this goal. They need to recognize it's it's not always nice and peachy. Right. There's got to be times that we face things that we really don't want to have to deal with, whether it's an injury in the shop, whether it's the numbers aren't where they they're supposed to be. Do you watch things like KPIs on a weekly or or daily basis? How are you verifying the team is doing what you expect them to do? Um, I I mean, like I said, so I don't know. Some of the stuff that I've gotten has been from coaches and trainers and it's, Uh, as far as what their actual things that they have you fill out. But we do have shop tracking uh, spreadsheets, and it measures percentage of upsells, um, you know, parts margins, you know, how many um, upsells that you're doing in ratio to oil changes and, and stuff like that. We kind of, we don't track that every day. But if we have a day that's either really good or really bad, we want to know why. So we kind of go down and we drill down. Um, We kind of go on. The first thing we look at is average RO. But, you know, I try don't I, I personally try not to look at that every day because if you don't, you know, you have some hanging tickets or whatever the case is. So I try to look at that really on a weekly or, you know, monthly basis. Um, you know, but if we have a day where the AROs in the toilet, we're going in there. Did we fail in sales? Did we fail in recommended, uh, found work? You know, what was presented or, you know, was our close ratio low? So, um, that's really what we look at, you know, and like I said, we have these, these, we have a tracking spreadsheet that I got from a, from a coach that I was with that has helped me tremendously really figure out 
we're doing what we're supposed to. It was just an off day. Right. Or did right. we completely Watch fail? Watch the grand scheme. Right. Or did we completely fail and we just own it and we, we make improvements for the next day? Well, so let me ask you this. When, when it comes to the customer or client aspect of it, for instance, uh, the ability to verify that the clients are being well taken care of, their needs are being met. Uh, are you watching reviews for that? Or are you speaking with clients from time to time? Tell me how you monitor that with this kind of, you know, how you've stepped away from the business. How, how do you monitor the, monitor the customer satisfaction and um, ensure things like, hey, we know the technicians are recommending the right things. We're not asking them to perform services or they're not performing services that should not be performed. How do you monitor that? Well, as far as technicians recommending services, we use digital inspection. And um, so we, we, we verify everything in the shop with digital inspections. Even if someone comes in for a simple check engine light, we take right. pictures of uh, you know of the scanner, all that stuff. That way, there is no question on what was actually done or the procedure that was done. Um, right. Same thing goes with maintenance. We do the DVIs. Um, <clears throat> if we are customer satisfaction, we I, I, we do the review platform where we ask for the reviews and we get quite a few reviews, and we right. have. You know, people go on and give us bad reviews. Um, so I don't do the follow-up calls. Um, I, I know David is big into that, you, you know, the follow-up calls and sending the letters and all that stuff. And, you know, I, I wish that that was something that we were more diligent with, but we don't do that. Um, we just outsource that. <laughs> well, then That's I need to get that information. That was a whole conversation on ASOC today. Uh, is that somebody was wanting to um, ask about a vendor that that's a service they offer. And yeah. a person, a actual person will call your customers and they have a, a little sheet that they fill out and they email you. I just got mine, by the way, for last week. And um, they charge a certain dollar amount up to X amount of phone calls. And then they will also send out thank you cards uh, mm -hmm. for a certain dollar amount per thank you card and they handwrite them out. They handwrite those suckers out. So, um, we, we were dropping the ball too. I mean, yeah. you know, it, it's just one more task for whoever the CSR, the ser uh, service advisor to do, or I have to do, and I certainly don't want to do it. So, uh, I, um, yeah. I had to find something that would, that was going to be consistent. And so I outsourced and the big hoopla in ASOG was, it wasn't even a hoopla. It was just a back and forth is somebody saying, Oh, it'd be cheaper to, to hire somebody. And I disagreed, but you know, they made their case. I made my case and we just went along, but I thought I'd and bring I, up the, find I it have on done that of in the, the argument. Past. We, <laughs> we, we did that a lot at the, really when we were heavy on the phone calls and stuff like that was during the beginning of COVID, you, you know, right. that's not anything yeah. that we really did. We did, we did bring somebody in part-time because it was easy to find somebody then, and we brought somebody in part-time. But we've tried to do a lot of that stuff. It gets done, but then when we're working on 20 to 30 cars a day, that 
even filling out the trackers. That's one thing with the like with the with the shop tracker. If we do that a hundred percent, it's not just ten minutes because it's ten ROs you have to go through. Yeah, you know you're going through all that stuff, and it's an hour process. We don't have excess staff, you know, and yeah, that that's one of the things. Like we run extremely thin staff, um, you know, and so you you do have to make some sacrifice if you're going to do that. Yeah, that makes sense. You you know that's what the frustrating thing with these management systems is that they don't they don't integrate directly into some type of tracker. The analytics is like meh, and mm-hmm. all of these coaching companies have these great spreadsheets, and there's drive your KPI, and I know they were trying to get a shot management system to integrate directly into drive your KPI which would be essentially everything you need. It would be the complete like KPI list that you could possibly need. And 80 to 90% of the information that needs to be put in there could be pulled directly from your shop management system. But I don't know, man, that would be so nice. Yeah. I I have no idea what the reasoning is. What's that? You know, we look at our marketing sources and, and, and make sure that we still have that, 30% 30% new customers coming in and, you know. Yeah, but you've got to um, manually punch big, that all in, right? No, I mean, we run reports and then we, we you know, we kind of sort it. Probably the best thing that I've seen for that as far as reporting is uh, the rebatechecks.com. Uh, I think uh-huh. is what it is. The, the, the guy's a shop owner. I think he's out of Texas. Yeah, and yeah, I'm familiar his reporting to me is gold because it breaks it down. I mean, I obviously he's not doing that for me once a month and we haven't used him in a, in a little bit, but when I, when I saw those reports, that really is an eye opening, uh, you know, the way he lays it out there. Interesting. But I'm saying like integrate that into a shop management system. Sure. You see what I'm saying? And, yeah, I mean, you know, we're on they're... tech metric and you can sort by, uh, when you run the reports, you can sort by source. So mm-hmm. we, we used to do all of the sources, Google, Facebook, all that. We have two sources now, new repeat or three, new repeat and fleet. Those are my three sources. I, you know. Yeah, but that's my point though, is, is you're having to, you're having to sort of work around the inadequacies of the, the system. And not to right. disparage tech metric, they're all the same. But right. I'm saying, and you, what they don't tell you is they don't give you a percentage. Like you can't click a button and say 30% of my customers this month were brand new customers or yeah. whatever the number happens to be. 27.7% of my customers were, were first-time customers. If you tag them first-time customer. No, you don't have to tag them first-time customer. No, explain to me. Is it? I don't have the analytics tab. Oh, that sucks. Oh, for me. I'm sorry. Geez, are you serious? So, yes, I gotta, so here's the here's well, the deal, Sam. I, I got to pay extra every month in order for me to extract critical information that should be included in the enterprise package that I already pay four hundred dollars a month for. It is included. All you got to do is tell them to turn it on. It's not free. What are you talking about? Yes, it's it is part of it is part of the primary package it's part of the big package it's included lucas explain to me the reasoning behind i have to call and turn it on 
But listen, well, please guess, explain to me the reason for you that. Is if it's such a, a pivotal piece of information for you to be easy, then obviously you don't see the value in it to pay the extra whatever hundred dollars a month it is for that information. Well, you have to no, remember, no, no, David no, no. is very I, cheap. I mean, very cheap. <laughs> yeah. So I one I, one I'm being cheap, and and two that that's not my point. The point. So that was you're what missing I was my point. Earlier, Sam. You're not cheap? missing my point. So you're being I will cheap pay to the point that will, you're hurting your business now. And you're oh, not definitely, thinking, definitely. Yeah, and you're not thinking in the mindset that it's going to benefit your business in the long run. It, it depends because, you know, I'm, I'm just pulling a, a one one metric out of, you know, 50 right. that I I would like to have consistently in a clean format that I know the information is getting pulled in this manner. And this is what this metric is telling me. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, mm-hmm. and, and I need to be confident in those numbers. I used to be with a CRM company that would pull the information directly out of your SMS and they would spit out these numbers. Mm-hmm. The numbers were inconsistent. And the, the information getting pulled out was sometimes, you know, muddled and you would get muddled numbers. And so you couldn't rely on them. Mm-hmm. And, and so you stopped, you just, you would ignore it. Right. I remember running off reports. I remember managing off reports, but the information I, I used to go into the office, I used to open up my computer and I would go immediately into my financial reports and I would go through three or four key financial reports. And then by three o'clock, you would get a, a, on certain days, you would get the previous week's reports and you would get specific reports. You could go in there and they would be updated and they would have critical information on demand for you to be able to to review and then take actionable steps based on the information you were getting. Mm-hmm. You would then sit down with your assistant manager, you would sit down with your uh, your other managers and you would have a discussion about what's going on with this. Why are we seeing these numbers? What happened last week? What happened two nights ago? Why are mm-hmm. we seeing a drop in ticket count? Why are we seeing the top? And you would have that information, but it wasn't, I have to every single night manually punch in every single one of these numbers because you know, the data's dirty. And and I guess that's my frustration is uh, Lucas is like, oh yeah, you just got to call and turn on all these key metrics will be available to you. Like, why aren't they there already? Why don't I know about it as a long time, two plus year user? Why don't I know about this? Well, and, and you bring up an even more important factor for me, and that is the quality of the data. I'll bleep out the company names, by the way. <laughs> right. So I don't have to delete I, all this out. <laughs> seriously, though, think about this. Every single provider calculates many of these numbers in a different way. Yes. And that is so frustrating because, you know, until until we started working to help other shop owners through things like the mastermind group and we, we began to become involved with 20 groups, things like that. And you would watch people talk about their numbers and you're like, wait a minute, those numbers don't look right. And then you dig in and find out there's a calculation variance from how one company calculates it to another. And I just don't understand the logic behind that. I mean, we should have a fairly standardized process right now that makes things well, For work. whatever reason, it's standardized across most of the coaching companies. Right. You hire a coach A, B, or C, they calculate 90% of the KPIs the same. Exactly. Why don't but shop then you management get, software do that? Well, that's what I'm saying. You get SMS 1, SMS 2, SMS 3. Eh, who knows? And then, you know, I used to be 
I used to have uh, Mitchell and they have 800 reports in there and most of them were useless. And I remember when I first started, opened my shop, I was pulling the, I think it was a sales summary and I was paying my sales tax off the sales summary and had no idea that they had included sales tax in the sales summary. I was overpaying my sales tax. And by the way, I never got, I'm, I'm so salty about that. I never got a refund from the state. I, I told them about it. I'm like, Hey, I got to recalculate all these numbers. They're like, I don't know about a refund. Oh, for the longest time I was overpaying, but you know, they don't tell you, Hey, you know, keep in mind that you're collecting an extra 10% on every single ticket. And we're calculating that into your sales summary for some godforsaken reason. Well, that's why they sent the pretty tax lady out just to, you know, kind of make things right. <laughs> she didn't. She's mean. Yeah, I never, I never really thought about the inconsistencies in, in between the management softwares. I mean, I've never really been in a discussion about that, but I guess it's it's possible. We were on our writer for twenty years, and we just made the switch, and. The the reporting in our writer was left a lot to be desired, but I feel that the reports that they had were good. You could go in there and you could do run reports on the customers by visit and how many times they visited in a one year period and stuff like that. They don't have any of that. Like they may, but I don't know of any reports like that in Techmetric. Um, kind of going back to what you were saying when this gets that? released. Well, it's buried in minute fifty six. You're gonna get a phone call. From PJ, he's going to call you up and he's like, hey, man, what's going on? <laughs> no, 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 it won't be PJ. It'll be Mark. Mark's his oh, little yeah, Mark, man. Oh, yeah, Mark Perkins. He's like, hey, man. <laughs> but, you know, but it, it kind of goes back to what you were saying. Oh, you don't know about it. The, you know, the thing is, is they're great. I don't even know if they're great at the sales calls because when I was trying to decide which software I was going to go with, you know, I, 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 it was between Shopware and Techmetric. And the real reason that I went with Techmetric was, is because Lucas told me I needed to talk to Monique. I did not speak with her. The salesperson for Shopware, I was like, if this is how the sales call is going, I don't <laughs> want to be one of their customers. And it wasn't Monique. Monique was great. It was the other right. lady that I dealt with. And then when I decided not to go with them and I gave them my reasons why it wasn't decided, you know, they kind of did the whole, why aren't you going with me? They were like, Monique was like, oh, it does that. I'm like, well, it's too late. I like it, I should have been informed of that a yeah. month ago. So, right. yeah. you know, do they not know or are they just worried about signing as many people up? Because I'll be honest with you, yeah, I ended like up that, making though. my own training videos for Techmetric because their training videos sucked. Yeah. You know, you know and I, 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 sorry, go ahead. I, so like we were you. sitting there the day of I was the, the when we made when we went live with Techmetric I was the most versatile with it because I was setting it or the, the most experienced with it because I was setting the whole program up and at like 10 a.m. the day that we went live with it I was like I got to make videos real quick because their videos we're, we're, we're drowning yeah and we're still right. full workload and my you know yeah. they were kind of freaking out and I was like this is going to be a disaster so I you know I think that these companies, it's great what they they're doing. They don't have a clue. Yeah, they don't have a clue. Well, I wouldn't say that they don't have a clue. They're worried about getting the next thing out before yeah. the, 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 yep. the the other stuff is – there's no training platform. and I mean, when we did our writer, granted, 
you know, and I think it's always been like this. We bought it from, I don't know how, what the actual deal was, but we bought it from a company, Automotive Management Solutions. They came down and we paid for it, but they were at our shop for three days training. Like you were, you were right. using the software and yep. th- like that's completely out the window. They were like, here's some videos. You need to watch these five videos. Yeah. You'll be able to do everything in the software, which it's is great. But then the, well, the thing is, is the videos didn't explain how to do everything in the software. Well, I mean, it's scalable for the, for the shop management company to just throw some videos up and say, Hey, this is how you do it. But when I bought Mitchell, when I first opened my shop, I remember painting the lobby as the guy's kind of clicking through and setting up my Mitchell. And then he spent four or five hours teaching me how to start an invoice and finish it out and this, that, and the other. But there's the other 70% of the functionality of Mitchell I never got to see or use or knew anything about. And that was one thing I will say about shopware. And that was the reason we went with it is because one, they gave me a free demo and I'm, I'm talking to another shop management company now and they're like, Hey, you need to, you know, have me do a demo. And I think you really like it, this, that, and the other. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I want you to turn it on for me and I want to use it for a week and then you can just turn it off. If I can't figure it out in a few yeah. days, if I can't yeah. build a ticket within a few minutes because mm-hmm. it's, it's intuitive, it makes sense to me. And then I can just, you know, just run with it for the week. I'm not going to switch because there is no chance in hell that I'm going to bother training everybody on how to use it. I want to be able to hand it to them and go, this is how you do this, this, and this figure out the rest. And if there's some other key critical uh, feature element that I need you to know about, I'll come and tell you. And that's how we managed shopware. We ran it side by side for a week with our normal shopware uh, shops uh, management system. We had it figured out in a week. And then we just went live. I'm like, yep, this is it. We're going to go live with it. And we just turned it on one day, boop. And we were done with the other, with the other program in one week. Yeah. And yeah, the first few days were difficult and I wasn't doing 500 cars a month, but you know, we figured it out. And that, that was the the biggest reason for me. I, I, I had switched to a smaller SMS, um, way back when they're out of Canada called Lane car. You guys ever heard of it? No. So I'm not. It it uh, it look it looks pretty good on the front end, but the tickets that they printed were like super antiquated. The problem, though, there was a lot of really great features in this shop management system. I didn't learn any of them, and I I was with them for a year, and then I switched. And when I left, they called me and I said, "Man, you guys don't train. Like, there's a lot of functionality within your system. Uh, you know, they have a full blown blown accounting system built into, um." into the shop management system. So there isn't a lot of double entry necessary. Uh, they made it really easy to, to build tickets and this, that, and the other and save things and be able to search, you know, canned jobs by year making models. You don't have to typing timing belt again for that Honda Odyssey. Like you build it once and that's it. And a lot of shop management systems have now adopted that, but man, this was like five, six years ago. And I told them, I said, you guys, you guys have no support on the back end for me to be able to figure out how to use this. The, the next shop manager system I switched to had great support. I could click on the button, tell them, hey, I don't know how to do this, but here's what they would do. They would send me a video. They said, just watch this video. It's three minutes long. It's like, okay. So you open the video up and it's their, you know, fifth version of that shop management system. I'm, I'm on version 11 
it doesn't look anything like what they shot the video with. It's completely different. The button's moved over here and this menu's gone and it's not a one for one. And they haven't updated the video because they keep switching the software up and they don't want to shoot the video again, which I get, I understand, but dang. Yeah. So, that was my big issue with our writer was we would get a phone call. We, we, we would, and you hear people that have a lot of problems overall. We never really had like these major problems with the software itself, but we did have a period during the transition, um, TCB bought our rider out, blah, 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 blah. They had a couple versions there that were a little shaky and would crash all the time. And they would call, oh, why aren't you on this version? I'm like, I'm paying $100 a month to be on their tech support, all the updates. We'd be five versions behind. You know, that would fix all the, and I'm thinking, why wouldn't you call me or send me an email and say, hey, <laughs> we have this new version out. Um, so that is the one thing that I like about all the cloud bases is all that stuff just happens now and you're not worried about being on these older versions. Yeah. But I mean, that I, part I'm, is nice, but you know, sometimes they send in, they push the update and yeah. I hate the search feature in shopware. I absolutely, it used to be, it fantastic. did get a, it was so good. Yeah. I used to type in three letters and it would spit up a bunch of information. Now I type something and I got to wait and then I got to remember, Oh yeah, I got to stop using this cause it's awful. Now, well, what do y'all think is going to happen with the software stuff? So nothing, we the, were on all, the shop management systems that we're, that we're all switching to now are going to turn into Mitchell and then somebody else will come along and say, I can do it better. And then we'll start this whole rigmarole again in five to six years. <laughs> I'm not even talking, <laughs> I'm not even talking just management software, but we were on our writer and then used auto text me. And then yeah. one of the, one of the reasons that we, and that we were looking to switch away is because we were sick of all the plugins. It was, you got a plugin yeah. for this and a plugin for that. You know, so, and Shopware has the DVI built into it as well, correct? I, from what I remember. It does. It does. It, it needs some work, but it does have it. Regardless well, of whether not, it needs work, it still has that option. It, it works completely different than from from what you would expect it to work, though. Yeah. It, it's not but the same I mean, thing as Auto Text Me. But see, like with Techmetric, it's not the same. But I'm wondering if there's going to be, I'm not saying Auto Text Me is going to go away. But how much of their market's going to shrink as though as the management softwares expand the capabilities of the software? Because right. oh, it the definitely next thing will. that's going to happen right. is, is they're going to have the marketing built in, and then there goes my shop manager and mechanic advisor and all those. Yep, I'm surprised yep. that hasn't happened yet. I know that's the point is that it hasn't happened yet. I remember talking to. Uh, the guy from from Techmetric, and this was like he he was still in alpha. I mean, he was just hey, we're rolling out a beta. I want to show this to you, and he, it was essentially just basic functionality. It builds an estimate, and the the fact that they could sign on their own phones and it would send mm -hmm. me back a signature, that was cool. Um, it didn't have any two way text, and and they were they still hadn't integrated in with QuickBooks Online, and, and I told them I said. Why don't you have some type of accounting on the back end? And, you know, and that's what we sort of started talking about. It's like, I hate double entry. I don't want to have to 
you know, it's it's great that the information dumps in there, but it's very basic information. I want to be able to see line by line and all that information is already in your SMS. Why don't you just dump it into QuickBooks? And I have no idea how it works on the back end. So I'm sure it's impossible because nobody else has done it. And so um, I I think it gets to the point where the software gets bloated. That's why nobody wants to, nobody wants to expand past their core functionality, like what they're good at. Because you yeah. end up with a whole bunch of, I mean, uh, Auto Text Me does what they do extremely well. well. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. Auto Text Me also has eight thousand features yeah. that I guess I could take the time to learn how to use, but I haven't learned taken the like. I have no idea what the rainy folder is, or how it works. The rainy oh, day folder. Cool. That's so, see, cool. you've taken the time to learn it. I haven't. I've left it alone. And I'm like, eh, I'm just gonna, you know, what I'm doing now works. And, and that's sort of what ends up happening is they, they're like, hey, we're going to add feature one, two, three, 75, 80, 85. And, you know, you don't use any of it. You just use what it's really good at doing, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And then some competitor comes along and says, hey, you only use it for one, one thing or two things, and that's what we do. And we're a third of the price. Why don't you switch? Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, I guess that makes sense. And I even mean, we though, only and use that's the what happened DVI part of Auto Text Me, and that's why we switched to TechMetric. I was like, man, I can save 160 bucks a month. You know, whoa, 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 whoa! What do you mean? Are you you were paying 160 for Auto Text Me? I think it was 169 or something like that. I'm about to make a phone call. That's not right. <laughs> Bleep this out. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. <Yeah. laughs> Poor Chris. <laughs> um. <laughs> but <laughs> that's what I was I'm, like. We're we burning only... bridges here. I'll, I'll delete it out if you tell me to, Luke. Because I swear, <laughs> oh, we man. we only used it for the inspection part, right? Yeah, you know. And I was like, "Is it the is the inspection the same? One hundred percent? Absolutely not." And yeah. you know, and then, uh, but will it work? Does it get the message across? Can you send a video? Can you send a picture? And can you write a description? Yes. I'm fine with that. Yeah. You know, um, so, I mean, I, 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 that's a very interesting thing to watch with all this stuff that's coming out. And I haven't looked at all the softwares, but there's still a lot of really interesting plugins. And I don't remember who it was going back to the dashboard thing. I, I have screenshots of it, but there are companies and it didn't work with our writer because our writer was access based. So it didn't work, but when it went SQL or cloud-based, there are interfaces that you could put to do your make your dashboards. And I think that's how um, like Kakui and a lot of those places are just using somebody else's dashboard put on their website. Right. Well, I think there's right. also the Shop4D. And if you go yeah. to their website, I've never seen what it looks like, but th- that's what they say. They're like, hey... Yeah, we're a thousand bucks a month or some ridiculous number like that, but we replace all this garbage. We replace yeah. your DVI, your CRM, your shop management system, your whatever accounting, this, that, and the other. They integrate all that into one system, and it has those uh, the RPM gauges, mm-hmm. right? It's the oh, same company what, or whatever. Yeah, I mean that's what um, from what. I, I don't remember who it was. It might have been Kaku. It was somebody that I was 
looking at their in their sales thing, they showed me the screen and I took screenshots of it, but it was the, the RPM gauges, like you were saying. Um, right. Yeah. Well, drive your KPI has the same, has that layout as well. But I mean, right. I guess that's my point is that the, there are tools already built that should be able to spit out numbers for us to be able to look at quickly and easily. And, and that's my point is, is none of them have, none of them have taken the time to say, you know, metrics are a key component to our shop management system. Mm-hmm. I, I think that would be a huge selling feature. Instead, everybody's like, I don't know, like we have text to pay, like you, you know, approvals via mobile and that stuff's fine. But you, you take a shop like Dutch's, he doesn't want that garbage. He wants that, like he wants that personal touch, that phone call. He wants to go through the whole spiel with them. Yeah. He doesn't want DVI. And so you approach him and say, Hey, I've got the most robust reporting of any software on the market. I mean, he'll jump ship. Does that yeah. make sense? Mm-hmm. What does he use for a software? Napa tracks. Hmm. I know. I've, I don't don't know anything about it. I know it's been they they have a cloud version. It looks like though. it's from nineteen ninety five. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. kind of how our writer was. But you know what? The reporting on it's probably strong because it's probably the information he needs. Yeah, but uh, I, mean, I you think gotta it's, get it it's to just, load first. And, <laughs> I think it's just what he's used to using. But I guarantee you that if, if you know, there's a there's a whole subset of shop owners out there that would appreciate robust reporting, and you know they're going to tell you, hey, garbage in, garbage out. But at the same time, like, hey, we're going to be able to give you all these key KPIs. You know, we worked with whomever, right? Bob Greenwood. Bob Greenwood gave us everything we needed to put together the key metrics that you're going to be able to use on a daily basis, weekly, monthly, quarterly, biannually, and annually, right? And we've built it all on the back end. Now, you got to make sure that this information is clean going in, but as long as this information is clean going in, you're going to get key reporting, and nobody's done that. I don't know why. Yeah, I mean, but you know, the thing is, is you can also drown yourself in reports. Oh, you know, no, that's that's fun for some of us. <laughs> I agree, but I also think you can, you know, I, I put myself in a situation where my fear now, or not, it's not even a fear, but my worry went to be, you know, and every shop owner probably goes through this. Am I going to have enough money to survive? Am I going to have enough money to survive? To you start reading all this stuff on the internet about these shops and that shop and you meet these people at these conventions and this this guy's doing 10 million dollars a year and then you then you have a whole another set of pressures and then you start looking at reports for five hours it, it brings up a whole another yep. set of doubt in your head you know Absolutely. and that's another thing that you have to get over uh, keeping up with the joneses no not necessarily keeping up with the joneses but you could you could easily put apply a lot of pressure to yourself when there's no need pressure needed yeah, you right. know, it, that's it, a great it, point. That's it, a really it, great point. <laughs> I mean, I I have done that to myself. I mean, I, I will probably when November. Okay, so we went from having one of our best months ever to November was in the trash, and I remember having conversations with other shop owners, and I'm like, man, the, the end is near. The the elections coming or the election is going on. Yeah. They don't have a yep. decision. It's going in the toilet. The month ended up not being that bad, 
in the end, we were still profitable. And I'm not talking about I made a thousand dollars, like I still made, you know, probably thirty, forty thousand dollars net for the month. But the pressure was, is, oh my God, I'm not hitting that 225 that because that was kind of where we were tapping at at that time. So then that right. pressure is right. you, you're not hitting those high numbers. Exactly. You know, and, that, and, and you can overpressurize the team too. Right, you yes. can really lay on the team, stress everybody out, and and I, I I saw that happen a couple times this year, where I was looking at the numbers and I'm like, oh no, oh no, oh no, we're not where we need to be, and and my shop coach steps in, he's like, you know, he's like for a guy that was saying he couldn't do more than thirty thousand a month, I think that ninety five thousand a month is pretty good, but but if you'll look at your numbers and kind of play them out a little bit, you'll see you're still going to do one ten, one fifteen. You're yeah. so focused on where it's at right now. You're not willing to see what's behind you or in front of you. Be real yeah. here, you know? Well, that's I'm the point you. of looking at the numbers. So that's the point of having those reports is when you all of a sudden you see a dip in sales. It's like, okay, well, let's figure this out. Let's see why we're seeing a dip in sales. Let's see, is it if this metric? Is it that metric? Let's then figure out what do we need to do to fix this metric because we found the key one metric or two metrics that are causing our dip in sales. So what do we need to do? We need to pivot. Well, what's the pivot look like? And at that point, then you can formulate a plan, but what if you don't have any of those numbers? <laughs> oh, I agree. Right, if you right. don't have any of those numbers, but what happens if you, like what Lucas was saying, you're putting pressure on the team. Well, he so, said it right. himself though. He was looking at too, too, uh, too small, a, a sample. Yes. Because right. his his shot manager or his, uh, his coach told him, "Hey, do the math out. You're going to end up, you know, at this number here." I used to get projected sales numbers daily, mm-hmm. and you know, it's a simple calculation. I ended up creating my own spreadsheet to do that for me. Mm-hmm. But that at least, like, I didn't look at daily sales. I looked at my projected numbers. I now yep. look at my projected m- numbers to see what I was pay where where am I pacing. Am I, mm-hmm. am I projecting numbers dipping or and why? And then mm-hmm. now you can start looking at the smaller numbers and figuring out, well, I took a dip here because we lost car count or you know my ARO went down or my sell-through rate went, went down, whatever it happens to be. But at least you have that information in front of you. I, I, I think you can overanalyze because I'm a very report-driven, analytical person. I love that stuff. But also I've, all, I've also read reports until – I'm biting my fingernails because I think we're going to close tomorrow and we're still going to be super profitable for the month. <laughs> yeah. Right, you know, right. it, it, so I think that, the, you, you know, so it could be that they don't offer all the reporting because not every, I mean, what percentage of shop owners kind of going back to what percentage of shop owners are really a business person? What percentage yeah. of shop yeah. owners are really, you know, well, well aren't I, they, I, and I, you're a hundred percent right. There was a, there was a survey and, and, uh, Ratchet and Wrench said that uh, for shops that do less than a million dollars, like something like ninety six percent don't track KPIs, mm-hmm. and wow. and and shops that do over a million dollars, it was still like fifty percent don't track KPIs, mm-hmm. which is insane, right? You're you're doing seven figures and you're not tracking your KPIs. Half the shops don't, and the the shops that aren't doing a million dollars is probably why. They're not tracking KPIs, right? And so, so they have no idea what their numbers are. Maybe they don't care or whatever. But aren't they doing a disservice to those owners, to the business owners, are trying to serve 
by saying, well, you don't look at those numbers anyway, so I guess we're not going to give them to you. Instead, we're going to we're going to entice you with this shiny thing over here, which is yeah. in, entirely consequential to the success of your business as opposed to key metrics that you absolutely need. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, mean, well, I agree. Where's with that. their focus at? Right. The focus is always going to be on what gets the new client. And, and I remember the first couple of times that I I switched SMS or began to look for different SMS options. And and it was all these bells and whistles that had me excited. Yeah. And and my coach came in and said, whoa, 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 slow down. Hold up. Let, let's really talk about the functionality of the software, because I promise it's going to be missing things that you want to have. They all are. Let's slow down. And, and, you know, we've talked about that in videos before. And, and I think the thing is, is that they really shoot for those bells and whistles. It's the shiny thing, like you said, that excites the, the potential client. It gets them fired up. It gets them, you know, it's like going and buying a new TV and seeing all these options it's got. Well, maybe it doesn't have that one feature that you didn't think about checking for, but they inundated you with all these nice shiny features and David buys that TV and you know, at some point, yeah, I get it. And, and, and we talk about this all the you time, know who ruined a, it, right? Those freaking okay. car manufacturers who couldn't even put a tachometer in the car or even worse, <laughs> a temp gauge. How many oh, cars don't have temp gauges? They have a light. I have no idea what the temperature is. Like, we're probably overheating, but if the red light hasn't come on, so I'm good. That's insane. Drives me nuts. Drives me nuts. I hate them. But, <laughs> but, but here's the thing. At the end of the day, a lot of their clientele will never be interested in the hardcore metrics that we're talking about. They're not it hardcore. Sucks. Don't say it like that. It's not hardcore. Well, Key it, metrics. You need to know this information. It's hardcore for most of the shop owners. I, I could go around town. And Not the ask, ones listening to the podcast. We're, we're an hour and very 20 true. minutes. And trust me, at this point, if they're still listening, they're hardcore. They want the metrics. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the thing is, is it, it, I, 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 I've got to I've got to agree with Lucas. I mean, I just think that that you know, you both don't know what you're talking about. You're playing to the <laughs> you're playing to the eighty percent of the market. You know, yeah, yeah, it, I get that. I, I had this argument with my wife about converting our bonus room to a guest room, and I'm like, "Do you realize that we're disrupting our whole life for somebody that's going to come and stay at our house for like five weekends a year?" <laughs> So I won't be able to have like a man cave because we have to have a bed in our bonus room. Like that makes right. no sense. Yeah. So it, it's kind of like, you know, if 80% of the shop owners don't care about that, then that's not high on the priority list. Yeah. But I think some of it is the fact that they're not pushing it either. If I get yeah. on the phone and I'm trying to push my SMS and it has robust report, reporting on the back end. And I'm excited about it. And I talk about how it's going to change their life. And I don't mm -hmm. tell them about this stupid bell or whistle that is going to be inconsequential to this, to their success. But I tell them this will make a demonstrable difference in your ability to be profitable and successful in your business. It's going to sell them. They're going to be like, yeah, you can have your, your bell or whistle. It's great that it does this one thing, but you know what? I have the best reporting in the industry out of this SMS, but, but if it's the just client a function never of their, uses of their it. marketing and, and you can say that all you want, right? 
But then what does that client do? That client calls back and says, hey, you know, you, you sold me this software. My business is not getting any better. Well, did you check the report? Well, no, I don't have time to do that. I, I've got these customers to take <laughs> care of. And I, come on now. Touche. Right? Lucas, touche. You know, but, I mean, look, it, 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 are you going to put a training package in place that helps provide well, it? Apparently no, we mean, need one. I don't know. <laughs> you got a week I mean, with it, uh, it, a coach. Well, it's probably, but the thing is, is think about the people that are the main players in the auto repair shop industry, whether it be coaches, software. I would assume that most of the software owners or heavy people, the ones that give the information you want, their shops are probably really dialed, you know, right. and what what is their shop like? You know, you can have... who people aren't going back. Have you ever read some of the reviews that these coaches have on their own personal shops? (laughs) You're going to get us kicked off the internet. Um. (laughs) But you know, you know what I'm saying? And they're going and they're, they are playing to the audience and they are giving them what they need. It works to a certain point, but you don't know what the background of what that other stuff is. Right. Well, and, and, you know, we've talked about this before. I was talking to somebody a while back and he was talking about his coach and he said, you know something? He said, he keeps giving me advice. He said, I'm pretty sure he's not worked in a repair shop in 30 or 40 years. He said, he's given me advice that, you know, is from the seventies. And he said, I just feel like it's outdated. He said, you know, it just doesn't fit this time. And, and, and it, take it with a grain of salt right i'm obviously we're not going to name who he's talking about but name with names. a grain of salt i'll put no. it in the bonus episode i'll cut it off here and put the rest of right. the bonus episode nobody listens but, to those anyway um i do <laughs> wait a minute you're telling me that I didn't is lies that is not true i mean but w- when does the last time you think any of those guys from um ati or the, the coaching companies that have been yeah. around for years you know yeah. management success like, oh, don't, here's the deal with them. Like, they didn't I even under, have they're Scientologists, coaches. I know. But well, what it's not I'm even saying, that. It's like, look, uh, you can say uh, what you, I'm, I have no problem. They converted with David. Pushing. I don't know if you know that. No, no, they no. They converted no. The, David. I, I'm, I'm okay that they push this, the L. Ron Hubbard stuff there because they, and look, I, they hand out a book. I read through the book. It's not bad. But what I mean, is it, their it, relevant man? What is their relevant experience in the auto repair shop that, in, that industry? Ex- the person None. that they put on the phone with you most likely has never worked in a shop. Correct. Or has had a menial role in the shop. Or I remember getting the you can't quit us phone call from somebody whose parents owned a shop, but she never worked in the shop. And so they're they're trying to give me advice. And, you know, very now the very first coach I had, she was, again, never been in, in a shop and hadn't worked in a shop and didn't own a shop. But she was she was good at keeping me on task. And she would, you know, she would mom me and then I'd feel bad and then I'd get it done, whatever it is that they needed. And and that's, you know, a lot of times that's what shop owners need is somebody to hold them accountable. But a lot of them don't have any relevant industry experience. Are we talking about the same organization? The the one that sent Robert Morton a wife or was that Chris Lumpkin a wife? 
Is that the one that I'm sent gonna the wife to delete to the that out? Look, <laughs> I, I'm I'm gonna say something. He and got I hope I, I, hope a I don't great regret value this. out of that uh, out of that trip to California. He came back <laughs> with extra kids, a wife. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> yeah, it he's was not fantastic. joking. The 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 dude went to California, met his coach with Drive or whatever it is, management success, right? And and came back with a wife. So I mean. Huh. Kudos to him. I'm just saying that I, I, they didn't have, they didn't have, um, you know, people with rele- relevant experience in the industry. They David, were teaching shut up and let system. the man get his point across. I, I, the man I, was but, trying to say something. I mean, the thing is, is it's <laughs> with the going with the irrelevancy, and I might the the probably the the one thing that I repeat the most at my shop, and I am not lying. I'm not making this up, and I'm not here to fluff you is you said to me one time, and I don't remember if it was in when I met you in North Carolina, sometime you had said to me, David, the 300% uh-huh. rule will fix 80% of the shops out there. And it really got me thinking about that. Holy and, crap. Are you saying you took some of something I said and ran with it? Yeah. I'm going to put that little clip in there. I'm going to hold that right there. <laughs> <laughs> you just like, made but, David's whole week. Yeah, but, you just made my whole week. But month. the thing is, <laughs> the thing is, is when going back to how we analyze our shop, okay? When, the, when I currently analyze my shop, if if we have, that's the one thing that we resort to. Did we present 100% of the work, 100% of the yep. time to 100% of the customers? Absolutely. And that fixes most of it. Yeah, there's all these bells and whistles, and I, I, you know, there are coaches that have changed my life, like undoubtedly. Every, every, even if I don't agree with them a hundred percent, all of the coaches that I have been with at one point in my life have changed my life for the better, yeah. and in some way they they opened my eyes to something. Yeah, but the I, I will say that. What that statement is probably one of the most true statements about this business that I've heard, and you can rest your laurels on. I'm Honestly, gonna, that's going to be the commercial for the podcast for forever, just so you know. <laughs> I mean, honestly, though, think about it. Yeah, think about it. I mean, I mean, yeah, you can fine tune and you can do all this, but if those three things are off. It's yeah, not going to work. Get it, yeah. And, and I think that's it. what it is. And, and you know, going back to the report and watching your metrics and doing all that—that's great. Me personally, I don't want to be at my shop looking at reports all the time. You might like doing that. I have got a lot more stuff going on than that. <laughs> why, why do you have to? Why do you have to speak poorly of it? I—I <laughs> <laughs> I, I used to like that, but when you step away from the shop and you realize there's. Uh, you know, and, and like I said earlier, my, my goal this year is better quality of life. If I can make the same amount of money and have a better quality of life, that's my goal. Yeah, yeah killing it. definitely. Yeah. But that, well, I mean, it, that ends up speaking to a completely different, uh, a, a different mindset. I, and I, I think I've told the story before is, is uh, Lucas introduced me to a shop owner that had gotten a scholarship to go to ASTE. And he's mm-hmm. like, uh, and we're, we're having a conversation and he was doing something like $50,000 a month, something like that. And I go, well, what do your goals look like for your shop? And, and he says, well, I want to do a million dollars. And I go, why a million dollars? And he goes, um, I, I don't know. It sounds like a good number. I said, well, 
what do you want to do once you hit a million dollars? So let's tomorrow you start doing a million dollars. What's that? What's that do for your life? He goes, well, I don't know. I mean, and I, and I kept pressing him. I'm like, what is it that you really want to do? And I go, I, I want to go fishing with my kids. I said, okay. So now he has a goal. He wants to go fishing with his kids or like you do, you do the RC car thing and you do the barbecuing thing and you've got other things that you do that you enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. And so how do you set up your shop in order to afford you that lifestyle? Does that make sense? Do, do more than a million dollars a year. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, not necessarily. I'm telling no, you, it's I, not, it, it depends I mean, if you're on new, his expenses. You, it, it, it depends on what part of the country he lives. Like, yeah. you know, you, you take, uh, he's been on this, um, uh, on the podcast a couple of times, Kyle Logue. That guy will live on $300 a month and yeah. be perfectly I, happy. But what does he if want to do? If you're doing a million dollars a year, you can easily make 20% net and not be at the shop. If if you are if, if you really have a dialed shop with three technicians and one service advisor, you can do that 80 grand a month to hit your million a year and not have to be there. That yeah. is a very and, and that's a very obtainable goal. Yeah. But but you know, I was talking to another shop owner who's doing he I mean he he has the capacity to do a million and a half, you know, 1.8 million. Or if he's running Lucas type numbers, he could do two and a half million dollars out of his out of his shop because he's got the space for it. But mm-hmm. when you have a conversation with him, he's got other things he wants to do. And his problem is he needs to have redundancy within the the, the business. So he's okay doing seven percent net. If that means that if somebody calls sick, it's never him that has to be the backup. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. And so, uh, again, it, it comes down to, you know, what is your life? What is it that you want to do with your, your time? And what do your expenses look like? And start working your way backwards from there. But my point was, if the guy, all he wants to do is, he doesn't want a huge house. He doesn't want to have a fancy car. He wants to go fishing with his kids. Mm-hmm. Right. You can have a shop that does 60, 70,000 a month and do that and mm-hmm. go home every single day at one o'clock. And as long you know, as you go don't fishing. Let the customer set the expectations. Well, I think. Well, it's not even that about setting the customer's expectations. You can get to a certain point in revenue that you can pull a decent paycheck, put the money into retirement that you need to, and you have things taken care of at the shop. You don't need to be there to go. In other words, you just get to a much simpler point where it's yeah. not. I, I don't. I don't need to go to Europe. I want to go fishing with my kids. Right. That's not very expensive. Yeah. So what does a boat cost? What's some fishing reels? You know, what's that hobby cost you? What are your current expenses? You know, what's your debt look like? Should be out of debt, right? What do your retirements look like? How do you structure this in order to afford you the lifestyle that you want? And yeah. I, my contention is it doesn't have to be a million plus necessarily. Although if you have the ability to get there, obviously having the extra revenue helps, but it doesn't, it, it doesn't necessarily, in, in other words, he was setting the wrong goal. Well, His I goal think, was a million dollars just to say he was making a million dollars when it was, because maybe it was 1.1 or maybe he could have done that with $950,000 and he yeah, could have true had realization of what life. the true goal was. Yeah. The actual goal needed right, to be destination. this. So let's work on this instead of looking towards, I have to hit seven figures necessarily. Otherwise I'm not hitting my goals. You know, it, it's when we opened up this second location, um, you know, we, 
we've learned hard ways with kind of going back to setting goals and we're in a very fortunate situation as far as our growth. We, we had a huge, we've had huge growth. We've, we, we've taken the risks with, with hiring people and putting ourselves in positions and, and it's paid off in the long run. And we will, we brought people in on pay plans and I'm thinking, thank God that guy left because if we were to do the numbers we're doing now on that guy's pay plan, he'd be making more than me, you know, and, and you, you have in your head, like the guy wants to do a million dollars a year. Next thing you know, he's doing a million and a half dollars a year. Sometimes you can't control that. You know, it just happens, you know, and we, we've had, we've had advisors on pay plans and it's like, man, if if we can get to where we're doing 1.5 a year, we're going to be happy. And, you know, we're happy if he's making a hundred grand a year, if we're doing 1.5 and this is when we're doing, you know, 1.1, 1.2, and then next thing you know, you're doing $2 million a year. You're like, holy shit, that guy could have cost me a lot of money. Thank God he yeah. left. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, and that's why I was asking Lucas earlier when I was talking to him before this started, what kind of pay plan is your service advisor on? Because he's in a pretty big, heavy growth mode, you right. know, and Definitely. we're, we are personally doing numbers that I, I would have never imagined we would ever be doing ever. Like, and that's a, you know, that's a humbling thing for me. It's like, man, we're doing things that I never thought were possible. That's awesome. You know, and, and it's like, man, you know, when we opened up this location, we struggled for, you know, a couple of years. And like I said, we rolled the dice on a lot of stuff and I run my shop very thin staff wise and which is, can be good and bad. And I've had it, you know, we went and hired a guy at 80 grand a year that when I had $20,000 in the bank for, you know, for this location and, you know, you make decisions like that and then they, they end up burnt. They can either burn you or they, they don't, but you know, he, there, that's part of the reason why we were able to hit some of those numbers is because he had a following and, you know, and brought a lot of people with him. Yeah, but so, that's a, that entrepreneurial mindset that you were talking about earlier. Like you've you've got to roll the dice when you when it makes sense. Yes. Yeah. I'm not saying going out and you know, as Dave Ramsey puts it, try to you're you're not going to outrun your stupidity money wise. So you've got yeah. to be smart with the money. You're you're never going to make enough to outrun your stupidity. But Rick said it in one of, in the AMA. He was he we asked him you know because that that's the that's sort of the mindset. I mean, how many one-person shops do you see? What's their first hire? An apprentice. That's yeah. the first person they hire. Some right. you know, ten dollar an hour kid who's going to work on cars to help them, you know, put transmissions in or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so we asked Rick why, and he he said, "Hire the best technician you can get your hands on. Yeah, whatever they cost, it doesn't matter because they're going to make you so much more money than than what you're going to pay them." it doesn't make any sense to to hinder yourself by hiring somebody that you can't rely on that can't do it themselves. But that, yeah. I, I understand entirely having that mindset thinking I'm not going to be able to afford them. Like you're saying, right. you're hiring a guy that's costing you 7,000 plus a month and you only have maybe two and a half months or a salary just for that guy in the mm-hmm. bank and nothing else. So, I mean, I understand. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, that's interesting that he would say that. So, from a one man shop growth, he would go, if you're a technician, 
your next hire would be another technician? Uh, yeah. Well, it depends on the person. I think it depends on the right. shop. If, if you're if you're a good technician and you're not great with people, then you probably shouldn't go up front. But you know, if you're a one man shop, you're developing your and you're you're at least to the point where you're ready to move forward. You've developed good phone skills. You've developed you know good good sales skills or at least adequate sales skills that you yeah. can all of a sudden focus all your time and energy on just selling and you can let go of the reins on, on being a technician. But if you're yeah. not, then yeah. I mean, I hired a, um, well, I hired a, a technician first and then a second technician and then a service advisor. So, I mean, I guess I, I went the same, the same pathway, but it, uh, for years it was, you know, messing around and hiring cheap labor yeah. and, you know, buddies. And, you know, it was yeah. the, the minute I hired, an actual technician, AAC certified, had a huge toolbox, came with a big salary or salary demand. Um, I mean, it, it was transforming. It was a, like a light switch. That yeah. and doing normal, like regular inspections, that that completely flipped the switch for my business is having yeah. that technician there that could actually bang out the work and inspect the car properly and just doing regular uh, inspections. I mean, my, my sales tripled. And then, yeah. yep. you know, we Same went here. from there. Yeah. Same here. But I think it's a you and Lucas are probably an anomaly, and I would I, I would put my dad in that same category. He was a technician, great with people. You know, he was I feel a phenomenal shop owner because he was able to do the front and the back. And then you meet these guys, and it's like there's yeah. no way that you are maximizing your shop because you don't have you can't converse with me, let right. alone a customer, yeah. Yeah. you know, and I, I, I think that's a very rare, you know, thing. And, uh, you know, it, especially in this industry, but in general, you know, and it, it, it's, uh, I don't know, you, you looking at small businesses in general, that's probably the, the norm, you know, ac- right. across the board. And, and, you know, I, I, I have set a high expectation for our customer interaction here in the in our shop, mm-hmm. and I have found that it is really hard to and and I don't mean this from a place of arrogance, but it's really hard to meet my standard or my expectation of what how I want my client communicated with um, the information I want them to have, yeah. the level of detail I expect them to have. It's really hard to achieve that with most people who, you know, even people who have been service advisors in the past. And I I think to do that process justice, you really need somebody who has the ability to communicate well in that position. Yeah. And so if you were a really good technician, you can turn 10 to 12 hours a day if they put the work in front of you then it's one thing to put a service advisor up front. And and I found myself in the situation that I could sell or I could I could turn 10 to 12 hours a day. But what I found was is that if I was the technician, I had unrealistic expectations of fixing that vehicle because I expected perfection. Yeah. And in a way that's what built the brand that is my shop. But in the same respect, it was unrealistic. And yeah. so I, I was saying, I don't care 
my wife was a service advisor at the time, and I was saying, I don't care how much time's on the ticket. This job's going to be right before it leaves. And so it stopped production. You know, I would work on something for 20 or 30 hours to make sure it was right. And and they would get the car back and the diff covers would have been painted and cleaned and sealed the way I wanted. And every single bolt was <laughs> torqued to spec. And, the, you know, I, I went too far with it. And, you know, Jim Kokonis brought that up. We actually talked about that in one of the episodes. I, I think that it's it's got you've got to find balance. Right. At the end of the day, I think most shop owners, the most important place for them to be is monitoring the shop's performance and being a business owner. It, In my mind, it doesn't matter how we get there. Right. One way or another, we've got to be transitioning from that tech or from that service advisor to the owner of the business performing the ownership roles, being the leader of the ship, because you cannot do that if you are inundated in the shop. You cannot do it. I don't care what anybody says. You know, Rick always says, you know, wear your hat for that time. And and I really struggled with that. And I, we later talked about it and he said, look, he said, I get that it's hard. You just have to do it for a time to get yourself through this phase. We've got to put somebody in place to be the service advisor. We've got to put somebody in place to be the technician, but you've got to get through this phase. I understand and, what Sam's saying, though. I like it because I, I, remember, I remember a shop owner in particular, the guy needed some marketing help. And so, you know, he got in contact with some of the people in our old mastermind group and, uh, I have a conversation with the guy and I'm like, well, we can put some leads in front of you and we'll see, you know, what happens. He was getting phone calls. He wasn't converting any of them. Like he shouldn't have been on the phone. And you know, he was, he had, he had hired cheap help. So they weren't capable of handling the back. So he was having to go to the back and help them, which was distracted him from, his ability to sell and communicate properly to the, to the customer on top of that too. Like a lot of it comes down to confidence. Yeah. If the, you know, this is one of the first things a a shop owner struggling with, with marketing, you know, one of the first things you ask them is, are you confident in your abilities? Are you the best shop in town? And you would be surprised. 95% of them say, Oh, well, we're pretty good. It's like, okay, well then you shouldn't be on the phone. And you shouldn't be writing your own copy uh, because uh, you're not you're not selling me on your shop already. <laughs> so how can you expect anybody to want to buy your services if you can't sell me or anybody else of your own abilities and what you bring to the table, which is unfortunate. And so that I understand what Sam's saying is like at the end of the day, they need to ask themselves whether I truly believe that we're going to do what's best for the customer. I'm going to be the best option out there for the customer. And I sincerely believe that at our shop. And I know Lucas, you sincerely believe that at your shop and you're probably the same way for your shop, Sam. And Mm -hmm. so if you don't start there, you're screwed and you shouldn't be on the phone. And if you think yourself a a decent tech, hire somebody to, to answer the phones that maybe is confident or can be taught to be confident about your abilities and can sell the customers and say, we are the best option for you because I'm going to make sure you're taken care of and I'm going to be the best person for you, me, myself, and I, even if I don't work on the cars and I can get anybody to, to, to wrench on the vehicle and I can handle the rest later. Yeah. 
Now, Lucas, let me ask you, with your standards and your training and all that They're that you have for the service the advisor. He's crazy. <laughs> um, you know, we've had issues where we've gone through periods and it's like, man, am I asking too much? Because we either have high employee turnover or I feel like mm-hmm. sometimes you got to jump into that micromanagement role. And I tell everyone that works yeah. for me, I don't want to be your micromanager. That is not, I don't want to be here. I want to be playing with my toy cars and doing what it going on my boat and whatever else. I don't want to be here. So, you know, but then I also feel at times it's like, man, are my standards too high? Am I expecting too much? And then I talk to, you know, some, some coaches and, you know, people involved with training companies and stuff. And, you know, they keep driving home. No, you got to keep the high standards. You got to keep the high standards, you know, but kind of going back to what we talked about at the beginning is the, does the market provide that, you know, does does my market provide the person that I need to be able to put in there at least not with consistency, you know, exactly. Not with consistency. What's that? Not with consistency. You know, and it'd be interesting to see how many people you go through. If you go through a high turnover with, the process of replacing that advisor that you had. Right. And, and I think the new, the new guys are really good, really solid fit. Um, I, I definitely think with the previous advisor, my expectations were so high that it put a level of stress on him. And, and the thing was, I was talking to David about this tonight is I constantly caught myself catching the balls that he would drop and it was, have you called this client? Have you ordered these parts? Have you done this? Have you done this? Have you done this? And this guy's been here for three weeks now, and he doesn't really have any of those, right? He mm-hmm. He's he's just now kind of starting to pick up into that full stride. You know, I'm sitting here looking at our, our workflow tomorrow. I see two cars that I don't know if he's updated the clients or not. There's one that doesn't have the ticket started those are really the only two things maybe some parts didn't get ordered but as opposed to what i did with the last guy which was respond i am time i am trying my very best to take a much more chill approach to this mm-hmm. and say let your mistakes teach you the way you need to go we'll debrief we'll talk about what went wrong but i i think that those high standards are so important especially for the advisor position because it is the key it is what it is what my client sees of our facility it's mm-hmm. so important to me and and the other thing is is that you have to remember that prior to having advisors i was the guy on the front counter it so makes it, it even me, harder yeah it was me that was really given 110% now i don't know if you know this my family's owned a small tourist attraction since the Mm fifties and my dad and my mom have worked in that tourist attraction since the seventies. I remember when I was a kid, I think we took three, maybe four vacations, Mm -hmm. right? My mom and my dad worked 364 days a year. Mm -hmm. They get up at 4 AM and they go to bed between 10 and 11 every single day. They work Saturday, Sunday. They're always at work. They live at work have my entire life. And, and I've always admired my dad because no matter how many hours this man worked, he always told the story about that tourist attraction 
the exact same way. And if somebody told that story any differently than how he told the story, he would get, I mean, he, it would just bother him to no end. He wasn't rude about it. He wasn't mean, but they didn't tell the story anymore. Is this like if you're and, at the, at the place and they're, yeah, whatever. And, and somebody asked, how did you, how, did, how did right, you right, come right. to run the place? What yep. is it? What does it do? Mm-hmm. And I, I asked him one time and I said, dad, why do you do that? And he said, son, because the only thing people know to say is what you tell them to say. Mm -hmm. And that always stuck with me because what he would say to those customers walking through the door, and he would say it 125 to 400 times a day, is what they would tell somebody else as they walked through. You could listen to what they were saying. Mm -hmm. They repeated with his enthusiasm what he said. So if you don't think your words on the front counter are important, if you don't think how you say it on the front counter is important, I got news for you because all that client knows is what you said to them. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I, I get it. We hand them a piece of paper. It's got the story about the repair on it, the whole nine yards. But in my mind, it's nowhere near as important as that conversation with Mrs. Customer about her car because that's the only thing she's going to remember. It's the emotion. It's the tone of voice. It's how we explain it. Our words are everything. If we don't have high standards there, we don't have high standards, period. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the ASOG podcast. Once again, if you'd like to support the podcast along with the work of ASOG, just go to our website, asog.site, and click on the Become a Patron Now button. Becoming a patron gets you several perks, supports this podcast, and is entirely tax-deductible. That's because ASOC is a 501c3 educational charity. Make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. It helps spread the word. Don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel and hitting that like button. Lucas loves wearing sweatpants. The like button sent him a bunch of brand new pairs, but when Lucas opened the box, he realized all the strings had been removed from the pants. Get back at that like button by hitting it. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, or if you have any topic suggestions, please reach out to me via email. My email address is david at asog.site. That's D-A-V-I-D at A-S-O-G dot S-I-T-E. Until next time. you enjoyed this episode of the ASOG podcast. Before I let you go, I need to ask you a question. Are you using the best innovative shop management system in the country? If you doubt that you are, why are you making your life harder? 
Shopware stays one step ahead of everyone else by bringing a clean, easy-to-use program unlike anything else on the market. Go to GetShopware.com and see what I mean today. That's GetShopware.com. Check it out. Thank you for listening to the Changing the Industry podcast. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And don't forget to set it to automatically download the latest episode. Our efforts with this podcast, the YouTube channel, and the Facebook group wouldn't be possible without the support of our awesome sponsors. So please take a moment, check them out by clicking on the links in the show notes.